Something happened this week. Two things happened this week that bothered me. And I thought I want to bring this up. My youngest daughter is doing uh, is uh, doing homework and I'm helping with her homework. And she's talking about Columbus. And that's what's the, the history piece um, in her in, in her school. She's uh, uh, 11 years old, so elementary school. And in the beginning, she's been doing this for a couple of days. They were talking about things like Columbus and the Columbian Exchange and things like that. Well done. All good. And they were, I thought, relatively fair on the idea of, you know, what did Columbus do that was good and what did he do that was bad? And some He's a bad guy. He's a good guy. I thought relatively fair, nice, good, fine, no worries. But then all of a sudden, there was another section on Columbus. And I was like, okay, I thought we're done with this. Didn't we cover this back and forth? No. There was an entire section only on whether or not we should pull Columbus statues down. Yep, not joking. I have no problem at all with the school explaining both the good and the bad of Columbus. 100% on board, as they should. They should portray an accurate portrayal of both sides or other sides of who Columbus was and what he did. All good with that. No worries. I had no problem with that at all. But then it was an entire separate unit just on pulling the statues down. Now, at first, it was a little chunk on it, which I thought, okay, you know, no worries. This is New York City. We have a huge statue of Columbus in Columbus Circle. We actually have a Columbus Square in Astoria also. So I get it. It is local. Maybe that's the thing. And they did a story on it. All right, fine. Then it was an entire unit on it. Five YouTube videos on it. I'm not exaggerating. Five YouTube videos on it. Not on whether Columbus was good or bad. I'm okay with that. Not whether or not Columbus, you know, should have, you know, whatever, a holiday we should love him or hate him. Not that. I'm okay with that. Whether or not we should take the statue down. That was actually one of the things you had to fill out. Give reasons why we should pull the statue down. Give reasons why we shouldn't. Why is that what she's learning? Why is that a thing? Now, to be forward, if you personally believe we should pull the statues down, you can teach your kids that. No worries. If you think we shouldn't, you can teach your, your kid that. No worries. Why is the school teaching that? I was concerned. So then I said, okay, that's, that was odd. That was odd, but I still wasn't upset yet. I was just kind of like, eh, this is bothering me a bit, but you know what? Maybe it's me, right? Maybe I'm just a crazy parent. Let me just be quiet and we'll move on. Then my older daughter comes to me and she says, hey, can you tell me what's going on with Israel, dad? I don't really get it. I'm like, what? You're in high school. She's like, yeah. You don't get what's happening in Israel. You take a history class, right? She's like, yeah. Okay, so I asked her, what did you learn? My daughter is 17 now. This one is my older one. She's 17, 11th grade. Been taking high school history three years. I said, what did they teach you about the Israeli-Palestinian conf uh, you know, conflict? She said, never brought it up. I said, what? She said, never brought it up. She said, I heard about it on Twitter. I'm not joking. She said, I heard about it on Twitter. And then one of my friends was talking about how terrible Israel is. And she was like, is that true? I was like, you want me to tell? She's like, yeah, I thought you would tell me, dad. And I'm like, okay, let me start teaching now. So I had to start going back and teaching the, the origins of the conflict. And I thought, 
this isn't supposed to be my job, right? But fine, I'll do it. So then I went to my younger daughter, who's in elementary school. And I said, hey, baby, can you tell me anything that you've learned at all in school about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict or the Middle East? She said, what's that? That's our schooling in New York City. What's that? That was her response. So I got to now teach that now. So I now have to go to my kids and teach that stuff. Now, I actually don't care what side you want to be forward with you. I, if you're like, oh, go Israel, go Palestine, whatever, fine, whatever. That's, that isn't the point here, if that makes any sense. The point is that most of our youth can't even, can't even make an intelligent decision because they don't have the information to make one. So how could they? How could they actually say, well, I think it's Palestine's fault, or I think it's Israel's fault, it's Iran's fault, America's fault. Whoever you want to throw the blame at or whatever is your idea, oh my God, you don't know anything. So how can you make an intelligent decision? You can't. So you jump in one camp that your friend or family jumps in and goes, these, these are the evil ones. And now you believe that. Because my oldest daughter, again, to be clear, she's in a good school. She's in a good school. Never came at once. My youngest daughter, what's that? My oldest daughter got more information from Twitter. Now, there was one thing I could, you know, one thing I can get. I remember when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, they didn't talk about the Vietnam War. That makes sense, right? I get why they didn't. We were literally, for part of my schooling, in the Vietnam War still. And we lost that war. So, I get why that stings. You don't talk about the Vietnam War. I learned about the Vietnam War from like Rambo movies. That's how I learned about it, right? And then eventually when I got into the Marine Corps, I studied about it. Most of my senior leadership when I was in the Marine Corps in the 80s were Vietnam vets. So I learned a lot about Vietnam as an adult. But that's an excuse because we were in the war when I was a kid and then we had lost it. Okay, how do you handle that? Excusable. I don't like it, but excusable. Columbus. Columbus, okay, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, oh my God. And the worst part about this is, and this goes back to our schooling, is you could find an answer online in five minutes that will give you a really good answer. How do I know that? Because I found one in less than five minutes. Literally, that could be done. Literally, that can be done. Let me take a couple of comments. Then I'm going to show you something real fast. So Miss Cruz says, isn't there far more important things should be taught in school than five YouTube videos about whether or not statues of Columbus should be removed? Yes, that was, you. thank you. That's exactly my point. I actually didn't mind at all. I thought the earlier units on this weren't that crazy at all. They talked about, you know, the advantages of Columbus landing um, talked about the disadvantage, how it hurt the Native American. I mean, it was very open and very, you know, how it helped Europe and about the Columbian Exchange. Eh, all good stuff. Happy about that. That was it was very good. I like that. It was fine. And I thought the unit was over. I'm like, okay, great. Unit's over. She gets it. Next. No, 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 no. We're not done. Got those some activism in there too, right? That was the issue. I don't know. They could have taken that time if I was a teacher, I would think that I would now particularly because in, in the school that we have in my area in Astoria, there's a large Muslim population. 
So many of them, because of their connection to the Middle East, are going to have opinions on that, clearly. Also in New York, heavily Jewish population. So we're going to have opinions on this. I mean, that's going to be a thing, right? So why aren't you taking some time to talk to the kids about this? Not a bad idea to do that. So yeah, really bad. So Rebecca says, man, I remember learning about Benjamin Netanyahu in the fifth grade in the late 90s. Yeah. Like, yeah, I learned about the Middle East, right? When I was in high school. Why? Because what happened when I was a kid, that's when Jimmy Carter had put together that connection of the, the peace treaty between Egypt and Israel. That was a big deal when I was in school. We learned about that. That's how I learned about it. Something happened in the Middle East and my teachers told me about it. They didn't go, now should we pull down all the statues of somebody? That didn't happen. I'm with you, Rebecca. And I learned this like in the 70s and 80s. So a little bit, a little bit older than you, a little bit. I did learn it. Absolutely. Yes. So um, let's see. She also says you learned about the history of Israel with Britain in ninth grade world history. Yeah. My daughter's in 11th grade now. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah. But consistently, she has to write articles about why certain political issues are good and bad. That's always. That's constant. This conflict isn't as binary as people make it out to, as well. That's also very true. Like, you're completely correct. It isn't. It isn't so simple at all. It isn't. Yes. So um, let's see here. Tom says, I asked my daughter who was a, who was a senior last year, in high school last year, about N Nelson Mandela. She said, who is that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, that, that was the wrong answer, Tom. That was the wrong answer. Yes. Part of the problem is that most teachers are required to teach according to the test, says Prolong 27. You are correct, my friend. That's very true, right? Do you think that teachers just want to teach, you know, the test? Of course not. Of course not. The average teacher tries to be, the average teacher becomes a teacher not because they think, you know what, I can't wait to indoctrinate children. Of course they don't think that. The average teacher thinks, I want to do well. I want to do good. I want to serve my community. I want to support the kids. Of course they feel that. And then administrators come in and make this happen. And that is why so many kids, so many kids right now in New York City are being pulled out of schools, even private schools. They're pulling them out because of this. They're packing up and leaving. Absolutely. Yes. I'm going to show you what I found. Really quick, if I could. I'm going to show you what I found. It was literally five minutes for me to find this video. It's 12 minutes long. So it isn't even that long. And it covers a whole lot and gives a relatively balanced. I mean, you can fight on details, of course. But it gives a relatively balanced uh, 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 piece on what happened in the Middle East. It's actually not bad at all. Let me grab some of this right now if I could. This is from a place. Oh, hold on. See if I can find the actual place. It's called literally literally the, the site. Uh, the channel on YouTube is called Crash Course. That's the site. Called, it's called Crash Course. John Green, this is Crash Course World History. And today we're going to talk about Israel and Palestine, hopefully without a flame war. Yeah, yeah. Without a flame war. That's his hope. A big ask, Mr. Green. I mean, that fight goes back thousands and thousands of years. Except thousands of years ago, there wasn't an Islam yet. So yeah, no. Also, let me submit that very yes. little of this. And this is the thing that, that he brings up, which is amazing. Most people will do what he just said. It's thousands of years old. They've been fighting forever. It will never end it. But that's not what the current issue is about. The current issue is an issue that we should have known about, that we've seen happen more than once. And you only have to go back about 100 years to understand why, why it was uh, bad. 
This conflict between Israel and Palestine over the last several decades has been yep. about like theological differences between Islam and Judaism. No one's arguing about whether the most important prophets descended from Abraham's Correct. son Isaac or his son Ishmael, right? It's not about whether to fast during Yom Kippur or Ramadan. Nope. It's about land. Portraying the con That's the issue that he's brought up. The, 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 the battle right now isn't because the Muslims are trying to convert all the Jews, the Jews are trying to convert all the Muslims, or the Christians are being oppressed. That's not why they're fighting now. That all has happened. Right? They've all fought each other over the issues in the past. But that's not what's happening now. Right now, it's about politics. It's about land. It's about those things. It's not about the religions. That's not the issue. In fact, there are, there are Palestinians who are Christian. Right. There are Israelis who are who are Muslim and who are Christian, of course. Conflict as eternal or as religious makes it feel intractable in a way that, frankly, it isn't. So instead, yep. let's begin, as most historians do, in the late 19th century. And instead of yep. talking about religion, let's follow the lead of historians like James Gelvin and discuss mm -hmm. competing nationalisms. Ah, now we're talking about what where you can see how we have made an error, meaning America has made an error in how we've moved this forward. This is, now they're pumping themselves up. Sorry, this is their little thing. Crash course. Okay, so in the late 19th century, the Ottoman Empire ruled over what we now know as Palestine. The population yep. there, according to Ottoman records from 1878, was 87% Muslim. So obviously, as many of you, you probably knew, right? If you go back about 100 years or so, 100 years or so, you find the area is heavily Muslim, obviously, right? Of course, that's 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 where it was, right? But even then, there were still Jews and Christians, right? Jews, of, of course, it was the homeland, and Christians were still there from the Crusades. I'm not joking. There were still Christians there from the Crusades. Christians there, Coptic Christians from the you know the the old you know Roman Empire times. There were still Christians there. 10% Christian and 3% Jewish. Everybody spoke Arabic as the daily language, and in yep. Jerusalem, the religious populations were roughly equal. To give you a sense of life in Ottoman Palestine, an Arab Orthodox Christian musician named Wasif Jahariya grew up in Jerusalem in the first decade of the 20th century, learning the Quran in school and celebrating. This is a common thing in a lot of areas back in those days, right? Back in those days, a lot of times, you know, as long as you didn't try to convert others, they're like, yeah, fine, be your religion, it's fine, as long as you pay your taxes to the whoever is the king or whoever is the thing there. Many times they were okay with that. Many of them were. So that that that's an interesting thing. Michael says, surprised they didn't speak Turkish back then. Well, that was the issue, right? One of the reasons why the Ottoman Empire, for those who don't know, one of the reasons why the Ottoman Empire was so unpopular is because Turks aren't Arabs. Turks are actually Central Asians. There's a country, Turkmenistan, right? The Turks are Central Asians who migrated into Turkey, you know, uh, right after in the area of uh, right, right before and during in that area of the um, uh, of the Mongol invasions. The, the Greeks were being pushed out. Turkey was Greek for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands, surely hundreds, maybe even thousands. Of years. Turkey was Greek for it was the it was part of the Byzantine Empire for a long time. Then the Turks, the, the Greeks got pushed out and the Turks came in. Turks are not Arabs. So the Arabs did not like being ruled by Turks. They spoke a different language, different background. They were all Muslims, that's true, but they didn't like it at all. And of course, Persians also aren't Arabs. So they didn't like that either, right? So that was all an issue they were fighting. They were internal battles there. Most of the time, 
you know, Americans will look over there and go, oh, they're all like Muslims or something. And while most of them are Muslims, that's true, they are different, different ethnic backgrounds. Turks are not Arabs, Arabs are not Persians. So there are issues there. That's why they didn't speak Turkish. They, they, they were speaking Arab because the whole, the whole area still spoke Arab. The Ottomans hadn't forced them into speaking uh, Turkish back then. They hadn't forced them into it. They, they actually weren't that aggressive in making people speak Turkish. Um, the Ottoman Empire relatively, I mean, they're all bad empires, but relatively wasn't about uh, erasing culture. Think about it. The Greece had been controlled by the Turks for hundreds of years, didn't erase Greek culture. The Turks were not about culture erase, erasing in general. Again, still bad. I'm just saying it's relative. That's it. So, yes. Um, Bernard says, don't remove people from their homes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yes. So, all right. Uh, Jericho says, it's amazing how many people are forming opinions on this subject solely based on which American politicians support each side. Yes. Oh, my God, Jericho. You fit it perfectly. Yes. Oh, my guy says Israel's wrong. Then Israel's wrong. My guy says Israel's great. Then Israel's great. Yes. Yes. Not about what caused the actual conflict in the first place. 100%. 100%. Um, uh, AZ says, I graduated high school in 2011, and I honestly don't remember learning anything about Palestine and Israel history. I'm trying to catch up. Sadly, my friend, that is far too common. That is far too common. You are absolutely correct. Most, most people who've graduated in the past 20 years or so, not as, yeah, they're in your, in your, in your boat. Charlie says the Ottomans, oh, hold on. Hold on, if I can go here. Um, it worked until the Young Turks came to power in the early 20th century. That wrecked most of it. Yes, that's true, 100%. That, Charlie, you're right. But the, the Ottoman Empire has been around for a, a lot longer than just the Young Turks, obviously. Um, but once the Young Turks came into power, the Ottoman Empire was basically about, was about broken. So all they cared about was just Turkey at that point more than anything else. And they really were horrible. They were, they were as close to Turkish fascism as you can get to maybe today. Right, today is pretty fascist now. And yes, Armenian Jewicide, Greeks, Assyrians, not just Assyrians, Jews, you know, also Kurds. Charlie, Kurds too. Absolutely, 100%. So good pickup. Let me uh, give you a little bit uh, more of this so you can see. It isn't that hard to just grab a video and learn something. It's YouTube. Both Passover. Oops, sorry about that, hold on. Let me grab this real fast, I apologize. I gotta put it on right so you guys can hear it too. I wanna make sure you get the right audio when I do it was, in short, a place in which people of different religious faiths lived peacefully together. They did. All right, let's go to the phone call. The late 19th century was the golden age of nationalism in Europe. and no. Okay, m minor issue there. He's got Germany as current borders, yet he's doing the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the um, Austro-Hungarian Empire. But that's fine. No place was crazier than the Habsburg Austro-Hungarian Empire, in which at least 10 different nations all wanted their own state. And in that hyper-nationalistic empire lived a Jewish journalist named mm -hmm. Theodore Herzl, who had hoped that Jews could assimilate into European nations. But Now, why would they bring this up? They're bringing this up because they want to talk about the idea of Zionism, the idea of a Jewish homeland, right? Where did this come from? Where did all of this come from, right? That's the concept. Why is he bringing this up? Now, why would that matter? because that's gonna give you the reason for why they're fighting. But I would bet you that maybe, maybe 1% of US high school students, maybe 1% even know that Zionism is a thing. They think of Zionism as, as people who just love Israel no matter what. That's how they think of Zionism. 
Not that it was actually an idea that had to come from someplace. Soon became convinced that the Jewish people needed to leave Europe and settle yep. in their own state. The concept of Jewish nationalism came to be known as Zionism. It's there important to keep in mind that most Zionists were secular Jews, so they imagined Israel as a state for Jews more than a Jewish state. In 19- I hope you guys see that difference, right? Most people who were Jewish just wanted a place to go. There was so much anti-Semitism, specifically in Europe at this time, right? Tons of anti-Semitism in Europe. They're like, can we just go someplace and not be persecuted? Can we just do that? Most European Jews were just saying, I don't have to have a Jewish state. I don't have to. I would like to have some place where I can go and not be persecuted. That's where I like to go. And that was what most Jews at that time were thinking. Can I go someplace and not be persecuted? In 1917, the British government, hoping to gain the support of Jewish people, issued the Balfour Declaration, promising, quote, the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. The British just said, yeah, this is going to happen. Because we're British and we're the empire and we say so. That's why that happened. We, We just decided, yes. Old promise considering that Palestine was still technically Ottoman as they hadn't yet lost World War One. Of course, they. I love that. They made the order before they even had the land. That's 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 some that's very ballsy right there. The Brits were like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Tyler, your house. Yeah, I'm giving your house. I'm giving it to Joe. I know it's not my house. I know it's your house, but I'm just saying it's Joe's now. That's that's some amazing stuff right there. I love that. Go ahead. Move on in, Joe would soon, but it turned out that the British were over-promisers when it came to Palestine because a, a year before the Balfour Declaration, the British had secretly promised the French that they would divide up the Arab territories and the Brits would keep Palestine. Furthermore, in 1915, other British officials had promised the... Now, that whole area you see, that's all Arab-speaking, right? That part's all Arab-speaking. If you go north of that orange area, those are all Turks, and they tend to speak either Turkish or Turkic languages, and some of them speak Russian or Russian languages offshoots, so you find that up in that area. To the right, that's Iran, and most of those people are Persians. So it's they're different. That, that was supposed to be an Arab state. ...of Mecca, Sharif Hussein, that he would rule over an Arab state, See? including they're Palestine, if he led an Arab revolt against Ottoman rule, which Hussein promptly did. So basically, the Brits had promised Palestine to the Meccans, to themselves, and to the Zionists. What could go wrong? Thanks, Thought Bubble. So shortly after the end of the war, the British established a colony in Palestine with the idea that they'd rule until the Palestinians were ready to govern themselves. See how good those British are? They're going to go over there and they're going to rule you because you got to be ruled. So we're going to rule you until you're ready. And who will decide if you're ready? Well, we will. When we decide you're ready to have your own country, we'll let you have your own country. Do you understand what what generous rulers we are? Wow, the British are so amazing. Love them. Love them. At which point the people living in Palestine were like, well, now seems good. And the British were like, yeah, but maybe not just yet. Meanwhile, the British established separate institutions for Christians, Jews, and Muslims, making it difficult for Palestinian Christians and Muslims to cooperate. Hmm. So the British came in and divvied up the people, putting them in different camps to make them seem different. So they might say, fight each other and not fight them? Huh, I've never seen that happen. Like say the Americas breaking up poor blacks and poor whites so they wouldn't attack the upper class British uh, colonists. 
or the upper class Spanish colonists, how they divvied up blacks and Native Americans and people of mixed ancestry to make them fight each other, or in South Africa, how the British there broke up Indians versus blacks versus people who are mixed. They called colored. That's their name. Huh. I've never seen that happen before. No, that's the norm. I didn't see that in, in Rwanda when the Belgians came in and just made up the Hutu and the Tutsi, literally made them up and said, you're different people and we'll make one class better than the other so they can fight each other. Hmm. British did that too. This I'll give the Ottomans. Look, the Ottomans were not a great empire, but I'll give them the one thing. They didn't play this game. That they didn't do. So they did a lot of the bad stuff. This game they didn't play. They didn't play that type of game, particularly making it racial. Wasn't them. Brits, no problem doing that. And easier for the British to, quote, divide and rule the inhabitants of Palestine. Again, yes. what could go wrong? Meanwhile, the British did attempt to honor the Balfour Declaration's promise to, quote, facilitate Jewish immigration under suitable conditions between 1920 and... Under suitable conditions. See, we'll decide when you can immigrate. The thing that's crazy about this is that the British just decide that they're in charge. There's no UN. Remember, there's no UN even to just pretend like it matters. This is just a British going, yeah, we'll let you be a country when we decide. And we'll let you Jews migrate when we decide. We'll just do that. And if not, I guess we'll bomb you. Oh, what they don't bomb back then. We'll shell you from our ships. How about that? There we go. Today, Americans bomb. The British shell you from their ships. 1939, the Jewish population of Palestine increased by over 320,000 people. In fact, by 1938, Jews were just under 30% of the population of Palestine. And the growing Jewish population focused on purchasing land from absentee yep. non-Palestinian Arab landowners. And so all of a sudden, imagine how you would feel. You live in Palestine. It's been 80 not to 90% Muslim for a long time. I mean, at least since probably the 800s. Right. So probably about a, a thousand years, maybe it's been heavily right. Muslim. Some Christians came in during the Crusades. Jews have lived there for a long time, but it's still heavily Muslim. Now, all of a sudden, the war's over and you think, great, World War One's over. I'm going to get my independence. We're going to have our own independent state. No more colonies. Ottomans are out. Those crazy Turks are out. Now we can be an Arab state. Life is going to be good. And the Brits go, well, you know, um, about that, maybe. Maybe what a side went. And by the way, here's 300,000 Jews. Good luck. What did you think? Now, before they gave them 300,000 Jews, let's divide you up so that we can rule you easier. So there's going to be a natural hatred or anger. Uh, we're going to set a system up so you can kind of hate each other, right? Even though before you didn't hate each other, but now we're going to set up so you can. Then when the Jews come in, the Jews are going to buy land. Why wouldn't you, right? I'm not mad at the Jews for buying land. They should. You're going to an area, buy land. So who are you buying land from? Absentee owners, who are probably people from the war who are trying to get some cash after the war. Now, who's on your land? These absentee owners. They're absentee owners, which means there are people now on the land. Well, 80% of those people, at least, are going to be Arabs. So who are you going to throw off the land? Arabs. Arabs getting thrown off of the land started a hundred years ago. Let me say it again. Arabs being thrown off of land by non-Arabs started a hundred years ago. This is not, oh, well, they threw people off the land yesterday. No, no, no. They've been doing it for a hundred years. 
Of course they feel bad. Of course they're angry. Of course they have resentment. Wouldn't you? And then evicting Palestinian farmers who were living and working there. By controlling both the land and the labor, they hope to establish a more secure community within Palestine. But of course, these practices heighten tensions between Jewish yep. people and Arab Palestinians during the 1920s and 1930s. Along the way, Palestinian Arabs began to think of themselves as the Palestinian nation. And that... Yes, there actually wasn't a nation, it's true. Some people say there's no such thing as Palestinians, but they began to feel like they were, right? They began to feel like, hey, we're a colony, we're a nation, we're trying to make this work. Of course they were trying to do that. They were feeling nationalistic. Growing sense of nationalism erupted in 1936 when the Palestinians revolted against the British. With the help of Jewish militias, the British brutally suppressed the Palestinian revolt, but- So wait a minute. So the British, a European colony, European power, goes into some Asian or African colony, uses a minority within that to suppress the others. I've never seen that happen except, oh, always. Typical, always. So now the British want to control. Well, they use a minority of local people to control the majority. And then all of a sudden, now you hate the minority, not the British as much. In the aftermath, the British issued a white paper limiting Jewish immigration to Palestine and calling for the establishment of a joint Arab and Jewish state in Palestine within 10 years. This so they decided, let's limit, let's limit the Jews coming in, into Palestine now. You know, right around the 1930s. You know, why would Jews want to leave Europe in the 1930s? That was the British. And that was how many Americans saw the Jews leaving Europe are like, we don't want you guys. Don't come here. Yeah, just when the world, just when the Jews needed the world powers more than ever, we were like, well, you know, that's inconvenient. Managed to leave no one happy. The Zionists were angry at Britain for limiting Jewish immigration of at a time when Jews particularly needed to leave Europe. And the Arab yep. Palestinians were unhappy about the prospect of waiting 10 years for a state. And then yep. came World War II, which was actually quite a peaceful time in Palestine. But then it ended and tensions resumed and the yep. British realized that colonies like Palestine were far more trouble than they were worth. So they handed the issue of Palestine over to the newly created United Nations. Now, for the first time, we've got a UN. Not that I'm thinking the UN has magic powers, but at least the UN is not just me going, you can't have a country, or you can. While it's not great, it's better. But here is where America screwed up. As the British Empire crumbled, World War II ended the British Empire. No question, that was the end. The, the, the greatest empire that did exist in the world came crumbling down, slowly, but it came crumbling down. And America had a choice here, a chance to, to say, you know what? Let me actually support independent nations. Let me actually support democracy around the world. That's not European. Let me support it around the world. We failed miserably multiple times, multiple times. We failed in Vietnam as we've gotten to Vietnam. We failed in, in Korea and we failed here also. What he doesn't tell you, is that before World War II, there was one nation that was seen as an honest broker in the Middle East. You know what that nation was? The United States. Why? We were trying our, our, our bit, we were trying our bit our, 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 to get our, 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 our teeth into the oil market. So all we cared about was, can we get some oil? We were there just to buy stuff. 
We didn't want to colonize. We didn't want to support colonizers. We didn't want to support religion. When American Standard Oil went there, they were just like, how do we make money? Okay, let's do that. That's all they cared about. So America, for decades, was actually looked upon as an honest broker. The British weren't. The French were. I mean, they weren't honest brokers. So they weren't looked upon as honest brokers. So it was almost impossible to have anyone to broker a deal that anyone would believe. So they had to go to the UN. That is how bad everyone else had done. But America at this point, instead of saying, hey, we're still honest brokers, we decided, no, we need to support our colonial powers. And the logic then was, because anything to push up against the Soviet Union, because communism is going to destroy us all, which it wasn't. It was a fake enemy that we didn't need to worry about. And we screwed up badly here. And this is the point. Let me grab a couple of comments, just commenting a lot, and I'll get back to this. But so you see, prior to World War II, America was seen as an honest broker. That went away because we wanted to support, without question, the, the former colonial powers keep them strong. Because we thought, oh, the red scourge might cross over Europe. That red scourge is what made us fall into a terrible uh, Cold War that we should not have fallen into. But yes, let me grab a couple of these here. Um, Jason says, it's my understanding that our lines on the map matter very little to much of the Middle East. And instead, it's broken up by tribal religious views. Am I wrong? No, you're correct. In Africa, too. Uh, not as much in Asia. In, a in Asia, many of the countries, not all, but many more of them in Asia, are actually based upon tribal lines. Um, and a, an ex a big exception, that obviously, is China. China just took a bunch of territory that aren't Han Chinese. Uh, the Uyghurs are one example, but there are many others. Um, so with the exception of China, which is still mostly Han Chinese, most of the um, uh, the countries are much more based upon tribal lines relative to Africa. Africa was a disaster. Africa was just like, let's just draw lines. They didn't care about tribes at all. That's one of the reasons why so many of our um, uh, African uh, countries have gone to civil war, because we just drew lines and said, you're now a country. Middle East, same thing. It's really, Middle East is almost Africa. That the only way that they were able to unite was basically under some form of religion, which sadly most people don't know, there's still a religious war within the Muslim community, Sunnis versus Shia. They fight each other. And that's based upon, if I remember the, the rule right, who is the true heir to Muhammad? I think that's one of the reasons why they have a split. Um, and they still fight over that. Um, it's, they still do. That's big. The biggest uh, Shia, the biggest Shia is uh, country is Iran right now in the Middle East. And the biggest Sunni country in, in the Middle East is, is um, Sunni country is uh, Saudi Arabia. And that's one of the reasons why they fight so much because of that rift. So, yes, that's true. Um, many people said Iraq should have been broken up into three countries. Syria is just a made up country, too. I mean, there's like three or four different types. There's Kurds and Christians and different types of Muslims. Yes, Jason, you're totally correct. It's it's a it's a big problem. We really made a mistake there. Yes. Um, Joe says you should launch an educational series leading with Larry. Sharper with sharp. It's actually funny. Yes. Um, when tribal collectivism meets land disputes, peace resolution is hard to come by despite race, religion, or nationality. Also true. You have to have an extra level and you have to have what I mentioned. You have to have someone that both sides believe is an honest broker. And that's why the most recent uh, um, peace deals have all been from Scandinavian countries because you're Norwegian, right? Or you're Swedish. People go, yeah, you don't care about us. You're actually neutral. 
you don't actually care if we're a country or we're not. You don't care if, if Israel wins or loses. You don't care if Palestine wins or loses. You just want to get the oil out of here. Fine. You're an honest broker. You're right, uh, Kenneth. The, the advantage is, sadly, capitalism can be a good in this case. It actually can. Yes. John says, I don't understand why we back the operation to maintain Israel as a place for Jews. No other religion has a state or country. Palestine was stolen to create this, and Palestine isn't based on religion. It's just a country. They are Christian and Muslims. In theory, that's true, but he's kind of explaining why, right? In theory, you're correct. But remember, being Jewish isn't only a religion, right? It is, but it's also an ethnic background. And with the exception of uh, sl uh, black American slaves, um, every nation, every group of people has a homeland, right? So if you are ethnically Tur Turkish, there's Turkey. If you're ethnically Jewish, there's Israel. If you're ethnically German, there's Germany, et cetera, whatever, wherever your ethnic background comes from. Um, American uh, former descendants uh, of slaves don't because we don't know what country we came from. I mean, in theory, some of us do. If you do your ancestry, you can go back and see where you actually come from, where your ancestors come from. I did mine, and mine come from the uh, the Hausa tribe in modern-day Nigeria and Cameroon. So my assumption is that my great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, whenever, were taken as slaves from that area and then brought here to America. That's my assumption. That, that's what my that's what my um I did more than one of those ancestry um, DNA traces, and both came back from that area. So that's my assumption on where I come from. But I don't know that. That's a, that's a guess. So is my homeland Cameroon? Is my homeland Nigeria? Am I just American? I'm happy to be American. But even if you're an American, very often you have homelands. And that was the goal. And remember, this is also a time, John, of heavy nationalism, right? Today, does the average person look back and go, you know, I'm Irish. So, you know, Ireland is my homeland. Some people do when they have a fondness towards their homeland. But the idea of strong nationalism today is far less than it was 100 years ago. 100 years ago, I mean, if, if you were, and you probably know this, those of you who are Irish, if you had family that was Irish 100 years ago, they were probably supporting, like, fighting an island against the British in some way, sending money, sending weapons, something like that. That was a real thing. Now, not so much. So I think the other thing, John, is it's a different time, different culture, that you add both of those things together. Right. It's 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 a different time, I think. So Adrian says Armenians actually get along more with Arabs and Persians. Ah, there we go. More than Turks for that reason. Yeah, I, I could I get why Armenians don't get along with Turks. Totally get it. Yes. We were all under Ottoman rule. Yes. Or battling with it for Persia. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yes. So see if I can keep going here. Um, let's see. Brian says, as a non-traditional student, I went to college with a kid from over there. His opinion was that it mostly, it was mostly about fresh water. Israel has very little. West Bank and Gaza have a lot. It's funny. When I was in school, I don't mean school. I mean, <clears throat> when I was in my, I spent some time in the Marine Corps in intelligence. And you, of course, get trained in intelligence and map reading and things of that sort. And I was at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, when I was being trained. And in my, in my class, we literally had like Jordanian officers Saudi Arabian officers in my intelligence class. They were learning from us and we were learning from them. It was very interesting to hear them talk about the Palestinian conflicts and Israel. They had very different views on it and they just were open about it, right? Many of them were not big fans of Israel in the late 80s, early 90s. They were not big fans at all. So, yes. So, anyway, uh, Joe says there are also different dialects within Arabic. Yes. Um, generally speaking, uh, for most, uh, 
for most people who are outsiders who want to learn Arabic, most people will tell you you should learn Egyptian Arabic. And the reason why they say that is the Egyptians, uh, Egypt has the largest um, uh, media presence, right? Most movies in Arabic, most TV shows, most radio shows, internet stuff. So that most Arabs, even though Arabic has many different dialects, most Arabs will, will understand you best if you speak the Egyptian dialect because that's common in media. That's what I've heard many times. The best way of learning, if you're going to learn Arabic and you're an outsider, pick the, the Egyptian dialect. The odds are where you go, you have the best chance of being understood. So there we go. Thank you for that, Joe. I appreciate that. So I did actually begin to study a little bit of Egyptian Arabic. It was interesting. Obviously very different. And the writing, completely different. It was a totally different way of doing things. So yes. All right. Um, let's see here if I could keep. Uh, I'll make, let me grab this last one. There was no UN, but there was League of Nations. That's true. There was the League of Nations. But as you know, it wasn't very powerful. America wasn't even in it. And the Italians and Germans left it. So yes, it just wasn't that powerful. It, it was nowhere near as powerful or even seen as valuable as the UN. So let me grab a couple more of these, keep going if, if I may. They're like, oh, hey there, United Nations, for your first problem. So in November of 1947, the United Nations voted to partition Palestine into separate Palestinian and Jewish states. The partition... Now, this part, this is the beginning of the stupidity. I'm not joking. The other things were all bad because of happenstance or what happened or someone doing something dumb, whatever. This was an opportunity to actually make something work. They could have. And man, did they screw this up. And you might say, well, Larry, how would they know? I'm going to tell you why. Have any of you ever seen a map of Germany after 1918, after the war was over? They broke it up and they put a little chunk over to the east called East Prussia. And then they put a, a line in between that they made up as Poland. That area wasn't Poland. Now it is. But it was actually Prussia, which is German. So they did that. They were begging. They were setting it up for another war with Germany and Poland. They were asking for the war. But not just that. Before they, they broke it up, for those of you who don't know, when World War I ended, the German people didn't think they lost. I'm not joking. If you know your history, you know that during World War I, at the end of the war, it looked to the German citizen like they were winning. They had won the war against the Russians, and the Russians had surrendered, and the Germans had massive tracts of land in the east. In the west, they had basically run through um, Belgium and still had trenches that were in France. There were no French soldiers in German soil. So why would the average person think we lost the war? We didn't lose this war. We won the whole thing. We beat the Russians. We're in France. We're winning. And we're now negotiating peace. Okay, great. What are you going to give us? That's what the average German was thinking. What are you going to give us? We did great. Look at us when you been in this war. And they chop up Germany, take off all the chunks from the east, and break the, the place up in the east. What were the people supposed to think? They were thinking... Why am I losing? Well, of course, if you're French, you've outlasted the Germans. If you're the British, you've outlasted if you're the Americans. You're coming to win. You go, we won too. Everybody got to pay. So you saw what happened in World War I. And because of World War I, that's the major reason why there was a World War II. That's the reason why there was a World War II. That's the rise of Hitler and the, the, the attempted extermination of the Jewish people. So now you're going to Palestine. What do you do? Break it up again. Did the Palestinians think they lost some war? 
No. So why are we being punished? Did the Jews think they had lost some war? No. So why were they being punished? Nobody thought they had lost anything. So why were they giving anything up? Didn't make any sense. Did you even ask them, the people there, what you should do? No. They just went, here you go. You know what always works? A broken up country that's not contiguous in any way. When has that ever worked? It didn't work in Germany. It's not going to work here. And they still did it. Wow, this is stupid. But Larry, if they did it the wrong way, people would have to move. Yes. And it happened again. India. 1947, India breaks up. 48? Oof. 47, 48, in that area. India breaks up. Most who don't know this, but Bangladesh was not Bangladesh. Bangladesh was East Pakistan. They were two, they were the same country on two different sides of India. But guess what? What? That can't work. Of course it can't work. Why would you imagine it could work? This is this wasn't there's no internet here. You've got to be physically together. Of course not. So what happened? Eventually it, it stopped becoming uh, Pakistan and became Bangladesh, a separate country, as it should have become. You know what happened when they made that? People moved. Many Muslims left uh, up India and moved into either Bangladesh or Pakistan. And many Hindus who were in Pakistan or Bangladesh moved into India. Many of them voluntarily, some not. And it wasn't awesome. There was still civil war and problems. But once that move happened, now you have a border. Now you have a nation. Now you have people trying to fix things. And it has not been perfect between India and Pakistan at all. But do they constantly have this? No. No. This was a terrible mistake. They should have said, whatever, there's North Israel, I'm making it up, or whatever, or South Israel, or whatever. And they should have said the North part is Palestine, and the South part is Israel, or whatever. I'm totally making that up. But whatever would have been the way to do it, do it that way. And then people would have probably, over time, voluntarily moved. Now, if you've got a UN, what's the perfect thing to do right now? Put in peacekeepers. Literally, put in peacekeepers. It's after World War II. We got tons of soldiers. I guess what? Create a line, put people there, walk across. You did it in Korea. You could have done it here. You did it in Korea, literally. You did it in Germany, literally. You could have done it here. You could have done it here. Of course you could have. Of course you could have. Terrible mistake. I'm embarrassed by this. Plan called for two states roughly equal in size, but the borders looked like a jigsaw puzzle. Yes. I mean, you do not look at this map and think, yeah, that's going to work. Sure enough, it no. didn't. And soon after the plan was announced, the cleverly named 1948 Arab Israeli war broke out with Israel on the one side and the Palestinians and many Arab states on the other. The yep. Israelis won, and when an armistice was signed in 1949, Israel occupied a third more land than they would have. Now, here's the problem What did it say? What did he say? He said an armistice was signed, was signed, not a peace treaty. I cannot tell you how important that word is. Not a peace treaty. It was an armistice. I'm sorry, an armistice, which says stop fighting. Okay, we stop fighting. But we haven't agreed on exactly who gets what, have we? That's why things are occupied. That's why they're occupied. You should either annex it and say it's part of Israel or not. It's not part of Israel. 
and that should be part of the peace treaty. So now the peace treaty says this area is Israel, this area is not. Now, of course, do I know what area should or shouldn't? I don't know, but here's what I know. We should have decided these areas are or these areas aren't, and we didn't. Had under the UN proposal. Meanwhile, Jordan controlled and later annexed the West Bank and the old city of Jerusalem, and Egypt controlled the Gaza Strip. Over 700,000. There we go. So Jordan got smart and said, no, no, this is mine. I'm just taking it. Now, I'm not saying they should have, but at least now we know whose it is. It's mine. I'm taking it. You're going to fight me again? Again, nothing's the best thing, but over the long run, we need clarity. Who owns this? Who owns that? What country is this? What country is that? That we did not do. And Palestinians fled their homes and became refugees in the surrounding Arab countries. And to Israelis, this war was the beginning of their nation. To the yep. Palestinians, it was the Nabka, the catastrophe, as they became stateless. Over the next and that was the issue that, that everyone gets mad about. The Palestinians fled. Okay, as they probably should have. I mean, I, I might have fled too if I was one of them. I, I get it. That's a tough spot to be in. But if you just would have made, as I said, the north and south or whatever, the north was Israel, south was, you know, Palestine or whatever, east was Palestine, west was whatever, they would have had a homeland to flee to, wouldn't they? And then if the Jewish people felt scared, that they would have fled the other side. And if you keep peacekeepers there, another war can't break out. We did none of that. We learned nothing. So all we had was Palestinians flee, but then is this their homeland? Is it not? Should they come back? Are you going to refugee camps? Or are you just going to become Jordanian citizens? Or are you just going to become Syrian citizens? None of that happened. Next 18 years, nothing changed territorially. And then in 1967, Israel and several Arab states went to war again. It was called. Now here's the problem I have. Nothing changed in 18 years. Then they went to war again, randomly. This part is a, is a bad part. They don't explain why. Just like today, what's happening now in Palestine, right now in Israel, right now, people are like, well, now they're firing rockets randomly. No, stuff happens to make people fire rockets or invade or drop air bombs or something. Something happened. They didn't randomly go, you know what? We're hanging around and just said, let's go to war today. What do you think about war? Yeah, let's go to war. Of course not. Of course not. They were still fighting because this was un... You couldn't keep this. This was untenable. Of course it was. So we, as the UN, as America, abandoned this entire area. And you said, forget it, leave it alone. I got, I got to go fight the Korean War. Leave us alone. I got to go fight in Vietnam. Leave us alone. And we left it alone. And we didn't change anything. And the tension stayed. And something, of course, happens, and boom, now we're fighting again. Of course, we never solved the problem. There was still occupied territory, and a question on who occupies that or occupies this, because there's no peace treaties. We just say, stop fighting, because we're powerful. We're mad you're fighting, and you're a, you're a nuisance, so stop fighting, because we're mad, and we don't want to spend forces here when we're fighting in other places. We got a cold war to fight. Damn, Israelis and Palestinians. Leave us alone and stop fighting. Nothing solved. The Six Days War, because get this, it lasted six days. Israel won and then gained control over the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, the Sinai Peninsula, and the Golan Heights. So the 1947 proposal looked like yep. this. By 1967, things looked like this. Then the now, there's the problem. I want to go back to that piece real fast, right? If you see where it goes. By 1967, things. Yeah, but that's not all Israel. 
Because yet again, there was an armistice. There wasn't a peace treaty signed. Again, there's no peace treaty signed. So now the Israelis are occupying Sinai. They're occupying the Gaza Strip. They're occupying the West Bank. They're occupying Golan Heights. Okay, it's Israel or it's not. I'm not here to tell you that it should or shouldn't be one or the other. I actually don't know the deals. And actually, before we don't care, I'm not, I'm not there. They should know. Make it Israel or make it not. Because then it becomes legal in everybody's mind, permanent in everybody's mind. And now we can start rebuilding. How do I know that? Look at Germany. They did it to Germany. Look at the, the Koreas. Now the Germany reunited. Korea didn't. But we know what was North and South Korea. No doubt. We knew what was East and West Germany. No doubt. This is the only place this happens. That's why it's a disaster. We, we took control of it and dropped the ball. Looked like this. Then the UN passed Resolution 242. Man, See they that? are good at naming resolutions, which outlined a basic framework for achieving peace. So they couldn't find their, they, we wouldn't just let them, this is the peace they're not saying, we wouldn't just let them achieve peace. We had to step in and decide, the UN's going to walk and decide what peace is. Why? Why aren't the Israelis and the Arabs fighting their own war, deciding their own peace, and ending their own peace? Imagine if our civil war, we, have a, we had a civil war, obviously, in the 1860s. Imagine if all of a sudden, 1863, after Gettysburg, right? The British and French come in and say, we, you can't fight anymore. We want cotton. And so because we want cotton, we need stability. You got to stop fighting. We've made a mandate that you're going to stop fighting or we're going to invade and we're going to invade your cities. Um, so and we're going to have a blockade of you. So you need to just stop fighting right now. Make the Mason-Dixon lines a flat line. That's going to be a DMZ. And we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll decide how things go. Do you, could you imagine if America had actually accepted that, what a disaster our country would be right now? Could you imagine what a disaster our country, if we even had a country, would be right now? That's what we did to Israel. That's what we did to Israel. America could have survived as either two countries that the South had won, or as one country, as we did, as the North won. But either way, we would have survived, because there would have been clear lines, the war would have been over, we would have made a peace treaty, and that would have been it. We would be surviving as how we survived. That's what would have happened. But anything else, imagine how bad our nation would be right now. How we've decided what states go into the union, which ones don't, right? Is slave, if a slave crosses through the DMZ, do we keep the slave? How does that work? How's underground railroad work? How do we trade? Oh my God, what a disaster that would have been. But if a peace treaty, you agree. This is what happens, how it works, blah, blah, done. That's the issue including Israel withdrawing from the territory acquired in the war and all participants recognizing the rights of both a Palestinian and an Israeli state to exist. Well, now here's the problem. Did the Israelis or Palestinians agree to that? No. No, I'm not joking. The UN said that's the peace. The Israelis didn't say that. They didn't go, we're, we're, they didn't go, yeah, we agree, we'll withdraw. They didn't say that. They didn't say that a Palestinian state should exist. The Palestinians didn't say a Jewish state should exist. They didn't agree. The people who were fighting did not agree. We just deemed it so. This is it. UN says so. Of course it didn't happen. They didn't agree because we didn't let them finish their war out. Or as I said at the beginning, just make a North and South or East or West or whatever, draw it up that way 
and then they would fall back to their own homelands and eventually accept the new lines. That's what would have happened. How do I know that? India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. We have examples of this working already. If they wanted to create a joint state for whatever they would have. How do I know that? Germany. They don't want to. They don't. The Koreas. We see this already. This is the only place where this is happening. Of course, did not happen. After the war, not. the broader Israeli-Arab conflict morphed into a more specific Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yep. And this is a nice moment to note that not all Muslims are Arabs, not all Arabs are Palestinians, and not all Palestinians are Muslims. Like there's a significant Christian Absolutely. minority of Palestinians, for instance. Palestinian is a word used to describe the ethnic identity of those who have historically lived in Palestine. There were, there for we instance, go. lots of Christians in the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or PLO, formed in 1964 and led by Yasser Arafat. The PLO oversaw guerrilla groups that attacked civilians, but now here's the worst part here we don't whatever talking about here is even that war, there was no peace treaty. I'm not joking. There was no peace treaty because none of them agreed to any of that. If you remember, and I was a kid when this happened, Carter had to bring Egypt and Israel together so that they could sign a peace treaty. That was what, 79? Am I right? 78? I forgot. 79, 78, something like that. 1979. The war, the, 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 the war was over. The last uh, war was over in 73. That war ended in 67. They didn't sign a peace treaty to what, 78, 79? There was no peace treaty signed. They didn't agree to any of this. So again, this is me again saying, hey, Tyler, I'm giving your house to Joe. Joe comes over. You guys start fighting. I then decree peace treaty. Uh, Tyler and Joe, stop fighting. And Tyler, you're going to give him your bathroom. And Joe, you're only going to go through the kitchen. You didn't agree to that. I just said that. You're like, I don't care. I don't care what you say, Larry. I'll do what I want. That's what happened. Because I have as much power and authority over Tyler and Joe as the UN had over them. S exact same amount of authority. None. Exact same amount. Yes. So, of course, it didn't happen. Of course, it didn't. So it took that long to create a peace treaty. And that was only with Egypt. Israel was still at war with Jordan. Was still at war with, I think, was it Syria too? I forgot. I mean, like four or five states. It was still at war with. Still, years later. It's insane. If you remember, the PLO made a deal with Clinton, right? In the 90s? The 90s. They made a deal. That's how long it took. This, this was a disaster from the beginning. Of course, it was still a problem. So let me let me grab a couple more of these if I could. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm getting a little bit. Let me keep moving here. All right. Yes. Tyler says the central bank heavyweights basically set up Israel. Yay, God's chosen nation. Yes. Um, you are also being out that the mandate for Palestine included what is today Jordan and was called to give Hashemites that were kicked out of Arabia. Oh, oh no, I didn't realize that. Thank you for that, Lefke. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Yes, I do appreciate that. Let me grab a couple more of these. Um, Elastic Giraffe says the vast majority of religious wars are reducible to territorial conflicts. Yeah, I, I think you're right, right? We, we very often, we as humans use religion later to justify other types of wars because we want people to keep fighting. Yeah, you're right. So, um, it's always over land and control of natural resources. Very often true. Yes. Um, no samba slide says, but are you saying that Arabs losing land to British? And eventually the Jewish justifies 3,000 rockets against civilians. Because you sound like that this view. No, I, I haven't. But thank you for that, Michael. I, I absolutely have not said that. What I'm saying is we have to understand 
that this isn't just about what was happening last week or two weeks ago. This is about history of over 100 years. And we never fixed it at all. So, of course, it's going to keep happening. These 2,000 rockets against civilians that are happening now, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Someone's going to force a ceasefire again because we always do. Either the Russians will, we will, the UN will, whatever. We'll say, don't do it. Stop. They'll stop. There'll be guerrilla activity still because they're angry and they feel cheated and they feel horrible. And then, I don't know, five years later, whatever, they'll fire more rockets again. That's going to keep happening. So I'm not saying that any of it's justified. I'm saying it's expected. And why should we expect anything else? Of course they would do it. Of course they will. Because if you keep going, you'll see what's happening here. This guy talks about what's happening now, what, what makes them even angrier. And what makes, look, this is not just Jewish people punishing Palestinians. It isn't just that. It is that. It's also Palestinians punishing Jews too. It's both. There's no doubt it's both. But the, the tide has turned. And most of the youngsters don't know any of the history. So all they do is see big bad Israel beating up on Palestinians. And that does look bad. Your 3,000 rocks and civilians, it looks bad. But so does a, a Jewish military force that is far stronger. I mean, not even close. Far stronger now, which, by the way, that was not true in the 40s and the 60s. In the 40s and the 60s, the, the Jewish people were really fighting for their state. There was an actual chance that Israel was not going to exist in the 40s and the 60s. They were outgunned. They were fighting hard. It was a real, there was a real fear for the Jewish people in the 40s and 60s. Today, it's not a real fear. And if some of you will be upset, it's just, it's a fact. There is zero chance of Israel not existing today. Today, Israel has the strongest military, the strongest economy. Most of the, its neighbors now are its allies. Um, so, and Saudi Arabia is even backing it now. I mean, come on. And with Trump just doing the, um, Trump just recently, the, the Abrahamic um, uh, treaty. If you notice, the rest of the Arab countries aren't saying anything now. They're like, oh, you're bombing people. They're doing that now. That That's because of the Abrahamic, uh, the a Abraham Accords. So, yes. So, to be clear, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm saying it's expected. And the tide has turned now. So, it's very hard. Again, there's a history of, of the Jews being attacked, almost wiped out twice. So, of course, the Jewish people are going to be trigger happy. Uh, wouldn't you? Again, all I'm saying is get the empathy of wouldn't you if you were them. The problem is if you're older and you remember, and like you, Mike, you're, we're the same age, right? You remember the, the, the wars when Israel was in actual trouble and might have not existed. So you and I kind of think more like maybe this is, you know, I get it. But if you're younger, you only know Israel as a powerhouse. So you think of them as, well, you're, now the Israel's the big bad guy beating up on the little guys. And my point is, you have to be able to see both sides of this. This was set up to fail. And I understand empathy is not sympathy, right? Empathy is not sympathy. I can understand someone and not say it's right. right? If you tell me, well, Jimmy killed his wife. Okay, kill his wife. Why? Well, she did on him. Okay, I understand that. Still put him in jail, terrible man. Horrible. Go to jail. So I don't have sympathy for him. But I have empathy. I get it. Oh, yeah, cheated. I understand why he did it. Still wrong. But how can I work on fixing anything if I don't understand why it's broken? And this is my point. Hope I was clear, Mike. I went a bit long on that. I apologize. But, Michael, thanks, thanks for listening, by the way. So, yes. Uh, let's see if I can do this. Um, 
Joe says, limiting immigration, that always works. Yeah. Yeah. Like never. Absolutely. Yes. So um, Michael says, problem also is both sides commit offense and both sides just defending. Both could see it either way. 100% you could. Yes. You could see it. Absolutely you could. 100%. So Mike says, Hamas is attacking Israel at the behest of Iran and Turkey to try to stop Israel from finishing their pipeline to all degrees. Mike, you have a, a valid piece I want to bring up too. Thank you for this. Um, here's the also reality. What I've, there is some sympathy I absolutely do feel for the Palestinians. I do. And that is they are puppets, right? They, they are sacrificing their lives and their livelihoods for other people who are funding them, backing them, and having them take action. That part's accurate. It's totally true. Iran, Turkey, throw money into Hamas because they don't have to use their own people, right? I don't need Saudis. To, I, don't, I, don't need to, I don't need Iranians to fight when I can get the Palestinians to fight for me. I'll just give them rockets and stuff, and you know what? They'll go do that. I'll buy the rockets from the Russians. I'll send the, the, the rockets through Syria into, into uh, you know, Nebulon into, and then into Hamas territory. They'll fire, and I don't got to lose one, one Iranian. I can just let the, the Palestinians die. Sadly, that part's true. It is. It's true, and I wish it wasn't. Because if you're going to fight for somebody, fight for yourself. Yes. So thank you for that, Mike. I do appreciate that. Tyler says, if only humans, regardless of race, religion, et cetera, made preserving natural rights as the North Star and seeing this as all individual versus the state. It would be a better word world, Tyler. It would be a better uh, world. Adam says, when people are scared of losing their nation, they'll resort to ridiculous measures, despite the power dynamic. Yes, because of the fear encoding their DNA from previous generations. Adam, yeah. So to my point, I'm saying I can understand why they do it. That was my biggest point. I can get why they want to do it. It's, it is clear, right? To, to, to get why they're doing it. So anyway, yes. The Zionists will not be happy until they control everything from the Nile to the Euphrates. This is a, a fear that lots of Arabs actually have. And the reason is because what's happened is the Jews have been, have been uh, putting settlements in these areas that are considered occupied. And that's my point, Ivinson. If they had had an actual peace treaty that both the Palestinians and the Israelis had agreed to that this land is Israel and this land is not, then there's no fight because both sides would have agreed. And then many Palestinians would have self-immigrated and many Jews would have self-immigrated and that would have happened naturally. Again, how do I know that? Pakistan, India, that happened. So you see that, right? Even to be forward, when they made a 30th parallel in Korea, you watch Koreans go north and south into their homelands in the north or in the south. Even that happened then, right? And, and at that point, there wasn't a war. When we first made the 30th parallel, the, we, did, we weren't fighting yet. And at that point, they were shifting. People will self-immigrate if they agree to it and they don't feel like the world's ending and no one's trying to kill them. They will do it. So, yes, let me grab a bit more if I can. Here comes the part where we're talking now about that part, about um, them moving into other areas. that attacked civilians, but also used nonviolent approaches to try yep. to achieve a Palestinian state. And meanwhile, the Israeli government began to establish Jewish settlements in what had been Palestinian territory, including East Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. There are now, there are a lot of people who are upset, and they say, how dare the Israelis you know, put Jewish settlers into these areas? This isn't Jewish land. Well, 
if you're Israel and you won the war, why isn't it Jewish land? Right? But if you're Palestine or you're Arab and you think you've won the war, why isn't it Arab land? You might go, wait a minute, do you think they won the war? Yes. Yes. Literally, I'm here in New York City. And I used to have conversations five, 10 years ago all the time with a bunch of hot dog vendors. I'm not joking, hot dog vendors here in New York City, Manhattan. Many of them happen to be Egyptian. And also, many there are many Egyptians who do, used to do limo services. Now, most of them are Uber now. But there used to be a limo service, used to be a thing here in New York City. And I would talk to them. And if you ask an Egyptian who won the last Israeli-Arab war, every Egyptian goes, we did, of course. And we were going we to cross Israel, but the UN made us stop you know, fighting. Otherwise, we were going to win. Every Egyptian says that. There's not one Egyptian goes, nah, we lost that war. There's not one Egyptian who says that. Ask an Israeli who won that war. We won. We were going to march on Cairo if it wasn't for the UN stopping us. There's not one Israeli who thinks they lost that war. So every Egyptian thinks they won the war, and every Israeli thinks they won the war. How can you have a peace? The UN just said stop fighting. It didn't say what are the terms to stop fighting. What do you agree upon? What land is what? So the Egypt, Egyptians were waiting for to get the land back because you lost the war. You had to give the land back. You lost the war. That's what Egyptians were thinking. And of course, their government was telling that. Then that, of course, the government was saying that. Of course. And Israel was like, we're not giving the land back. We want it. We want it in the war. We're not giving the land back. Why would we give it back? You lost the war. Lose the land. Of course, they would think that. The Palestinians are thinking, we, we won the war. When did we get our land? Never. And no one says anything to them. So, of course, this becomes illegal. That's the problem. But if you sign the peace treaty and this is Israel and this is not, it is no longer illegal. There are now over 350,000 Jewish settlers in the West Bank and over 200,000 in East Jerusalem. And these settlements are illegal according to international law. But Israel counters by yep. saying that they aren't really illegal because Palestine isn't really a state. By the late Do you understand that this is literally solved, literally solved with a real peace treaty? If we simply had not forced them to stop fighting, us stepping in from day one as the British stepping in, deciding when Palestinians can have a country because we're British, to the UN stepping in, deciding when wars end and how they end, this is the biggest problem. If they had just let any of those wars finish in any way, we wouldn't have this problem. If we wanted to defend the, 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 the Israelis, then we should have marched in and helped them and then won the war and signed the peace and made this big thing Israel or not. We did exactly the worst thing. Stop fighting without a winner or a loser. The exact worst thing. 1980s, Palestinians launched the first intifada, which literally means shaking off. And this began yep. with like boycotts of Israeli products and services and refusing to pay Israeli taxes. But so now the, the Palestinians boycott, don't pay taxes. Why should they? They don't believe they're in Israel. Would you pay taxes to the Canadian government if you're not in Canada? Of course not. I don't want to pay taxes in America, but I'm just saying, that's the point. The point is I'm paying taxes to America. I'm in America. I'm American. They don't think they're Israeli. Why would they pay taxes? They never agreed to anything. Of course they wouldn't. So what does Israel do? As any state does, resort to violence. 
That's what states do. That's not an Israeli thing. That's a state thing. So they decided to resort to violence. Of course. So now we're fighting again. Of course. Where's the peace? When the Israeli armed forces cracked down on protesters, violence ensued. And the first intifada also saw the founding of Hamas, which launched the first suicide bombing against Israel yep. in 1993. Hamas gained support partly because of its militancy, but mostly because of its social welfare projects in Gaza. It built and staffed schools, mosques, and clinics. So what, what does that mean? Why wouldn't the Israelis go in and build schools, mosques, and clinics? Well, because the Palestinians, they aren't paying taxes, are they? The Palestinians are fighting us and trying to kill us, aren't they? So we're not going in to hell with them. So Hamas realizes, oh, the government won't help, so the community does. Hmm, we ever heard that before. So the community helps. So the community's helping you, and they're saying and telling you all day long, Israel's evil, you gotta go kill them, they're terrible, we're not Israelis, we're Palestinians. You're hearing that all day long, and they're the ones helping you, they're building the clinics and the mosques and the schools. Who are you gonna believe? And I'm saying if it's you, anybody, this is anybody, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the people who are there helping you? Of course you would. Cool. The, the, the Israelis are like, well, you're not paying taxes. You're fighting us. You're bombing us. We're not helping you. In fact, we're going to fight back. And violence against violence. That always works, right? No, it always makes more violence. Always makes more violence. And what is the core of this? They never agreed to stop. They never agreed to the reason to stop fighting. They never agreed to an actual peace. They stopped fighting because we told them to stop fighting. So the most important legacy of the first intifada was the emergence of peace talks between Palestinians and That Israelis. did happen. This led to the Oslo Accords. And now the Oslo Accords, this is now, this is the 90s, right? I think it's 90, is it 94? I think it's 94 when this happens, right? It's 94, I think. The Oslo Accords happen and there's finally peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Okay, the war ended in 73. This is 94, and they have the accords. But note what accords, it's not a treaty. It's still just an accord. An accord, by the way, simply means agreement. They don't even call it a treaty. There's still no peace treaty. The peace process based on our old friend United Nations Security Council Resolution 242. But there Why are we paying attention to the UN at all? It has failed us in this case tremendously. There are a lot of issues to resolve. I mean, putting aside the question of like how to make two states that don't look like a jigsaw puzzle, there is the question. How do you make two states don't look like a jigsaw puzzle? Wasn't that the problem we had in the beginning? If we had fi fixed that problem in the beginning, we don't have the problem anymore of the Jewish settlement and the right for Palestinian refugees and their descendants to return to Palestine. What about that? Do they get to return to Palestine? Does Palestine exist? None of that has been explained. So of course you're angry if you're Palestinian. Of course you're still pushing out if you're, if you're, uh, if you're Israeli. Water rights. Water rights, which are a big deal in that part of the world, and so on. It's very complicated. So then came the Clinton talk. So it's time for the open letter. But first, let's see what's inside of the globe. Oh, look, it's a collection of philandering American presidents. An open yeah, letter to Bill Clinton. True. Hey, Bill, so your talks probably came closer than... The, the, the point I, I bring up here is we keep fighting over this. We could have fixed this. We didn't. It's far bigger. And this video, so it's coming minutes left, but I found this video in five minutes, less than that. You tell me a teacher couldn't find this? A kid couldn't find this.
The information to give you a background is here. You could find it. And if you cared, you can dig deeper if you want to. No worries. You can dig as deep as you want to deep as you want to dig if you want to. You can go find out details, watch movies, all kind of stuff. It's here. Why can't our education system do that? Because it's focusing on stuff that doesn't matter. It's focusing on cultural war and not real war. Let me say it again. It's focusing on cultural wars and not real wars. That's our country right now. Everything is about the culture war. Nothing is about what affects real people. In this case, real people who live in Israel and, and Palestine or however you want to call the area who are really having trouble. So Larry, what's the answer? The most, the, the, the easy answer for America, just walk away. We are not seen at all as an honest broker. We're just not seen that way at all. We have broken our honest broker status years ago. Just walk away. That's the answer. The best thing America can be is if they want us to be it, and if we agree as American, our policy do so, we can be the enforcers and the police if they come up with an actual peace plan because we have weapons and such. That's the best thing we could be. That's it. But I'm not saying we shouldn't be that, but that's the only thing we can be. We let other people step in and fix this. The Palestinians have to either have one of two things, some form of homeland or no homeland, go into the Arab nations locally and become them. That's it. Those are your only two options. Everything else will ensure that we will keep fighting. This will happen again and again and again. And to be forward, I don't know which of those two is the right answer. I don't have to. I'm not Palestinian. I'm not Israeli. It's not my business to decide that. I know logically one of those two have to happen for them to be satisfied. That's a fact. And, it, and even when it happens, people will be unhappy and it will take time. But once you provide stability, that will then allow them to decide where they want to go. In theory, if you just said there's no Palestinian state, whatever is there is now Israel. And that's it. That's the new rule. Again, not saying we should do that. But if that's what happens, Palestinians realize, okay, I either have to accept that I'm an Israeli citizen or I got to pack up and I go, got to move into Jordan or Syria or Egypt or something. I have to do that or that's the way the world is. That would suck for literally hundreds of thousands of people. But at least it will be done. There might be violence. There's violence now, lots of it. But there'd be some violence probably. But then it will be over. How do I know that? India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. That's what happened. There was initial violence, and then they settled into their own countries. That's how it works. Or you say, this area is now Palestine. This chunk is Palestine. That's what it is now. You guys run it. But wait a minute. A lot of people aren't in Palestine who are Palestinians. You've got to make a decision. Voluntarily move or accept you're an Israeli. Well, there's Jews in Palestine now. They have to make a decision. Voluntarily move or you're part of Palestine now. Now, maybe... We could use local or larger organizations to assist people to move, maybe give them loans or give them grants or help them buy land. There's so many things you could do, but you have to get them to agree, not me to agree, not the UN to agree, them to agree. If they agree, then we can fix this. Us, me sitting here from my, from, from my podcast, this is the answer, means nothing. They don't care what I think, and they shouldn't.
They should find their own answer. We should walk away, offer maybe to back some loans or something. I mean, that's something you could do. Or make it easier for communities in America. There are some very wealthy Palestinian and Jewish communities in America. Make it easier for them to financially back people who are moving. Right? Facilitate that. If you care about the people in those countries, make it easy to facilitate them moving and shifting, and we can make things happen. But we're not doing that. We're not doing that. So I know I've been I've been yapping away. Just it drives me crazy how bad this is. Sam says tough topic, but you're explaining it well. Loving this episode. Thank you, Sam. I'm trying to bring value uh, to the best of my ability. I do appreciate that. Yes. Uh, Grace says they're just waiting for the Palestinians either die or move. They don't want to follow the Oslo Accords. They want to exterminate them. Um. Yes, on the first part, no, in the second part. I do not believe that the Israelis want to exterminate them at all. I think they want to leave. Yes, but I don't think Israelis actually care whether they're dead or not. It sounds cruel, but there's a distinction, right? Extermination is different, right? Wanting someone to leave is different than wanting them all dead. I do not believe Israelis as a whole or their government want all Palestinians to die. I don't believe that at all. Are there individuals who do? 100%. You can find Israelis, individuals who want that to happen. They just want all the, them to leave the land. That's what they really want. If they were to pack up and move to Jordan tomorrow, Israeli government, awesome, good. So move, yes. Exterminate, I don't believe that. I think that's not true. I think that's an exaggeration. That's my view. That's my view. Hala says, about the most sober conversation about this matter. This kind of talk, unfortunately, gets folks labeled as anti-Semitic from bringing this up. Guys, I hope those of you who watch this show often realize I will never shy away from any conversation ever, ever. Not who I am. I will never shy away. I deal with anti-Semitism. I deal with race. I deal with gender, everything. I will never shy away. And the reason is, no matter what anyone says, I know in my heart, I have the moral high ground. I do. Why? I'm a libertarian. Which means I don't want to force people to do anything I want to do. I want everyone to be free to the best of their ability. And I want people to be happy to the best of their ability. And that's always where I'm coming from every single time. So I don't mind having conversations. You want to call me anti Semitic? You can. I mean, if you want to. I mean, up to you. But what have I said that says Jews are bad? Never done anything like that. What I've said is Israelis believe a certain thing because of their history, and Palestinians believe a certain thing because of their history. You can have empathy without agreeing with either side. And I'd like, I'd like them to find their own answer because that's the only answer they'll agree to. If we just keep doing it, it just doesn't work. So, yes. William says, wait, we could be worse than what we are right now? Yeah, 100% we could. 100% yes. <clears throat> I got a question. How does Israel, Israel high court rule the Palestinians? That, that's the point, Joe. How do they? The Palestinians, they have a free state. The Jews say, no, you don't. Yeah. William says, how can two states live in the same land? They can't, William, unless both people agree that here's the imaginary line. It's right here. See, William? Right? I was dealing with the, the Joe and Tyler issue. Who owns the house? Well, if both agree that Joe owns the bathroom, then Joe owns the bathroom. Because Joe and Tyler agree. That's the line. The line's the bathroom. And Joe can go to that bathroom through the window. You're going to be a little bit busy getting through that window, Joe. But fine, whatever. If you guys agree, then it works. But if Joe says it's my bathroom and Tyler says, no, it's not, we got a problem. That's where we are now. 
We can't both own the bathroom. So, yes. So, um, Lefke says, the UN did not say to withdraw completely to 1949 armistice lines. They were ambiguous. Thank you, Lepke, It because it wasn't. Because it wasn't an agreement. They just said it. They just said it. Yes. Charlie says, Larry is flake book trying to censor you. Probably. I don't doubt it. <laughs> Every other time. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. William says, wait, there are still Christians left after ISIS in the region. Yes. Remember, ISIS really only took power in parts of Syria and Iraq. That was really the only areas. ISIS had very little power um, in Iran, very little power in, um, in Jordan, very little power in Lebanon, very little power in Israel. ISIS really was only in two, I guess, countries, uh, Syria and Iraq. So yes, uh, Christians were not persecuted. Okay, relatively, they were not persecuted in, those other, in other places, only in Syria and in, in, in Iraq. So yes. So um, let's see here. Um, a lot more nuanced than Scott Horton's one-sided anti-Zionist tirades. Well, that's who I am. That's who I am. Yes. Most Israelis and Palestinians are good people and just want peace. That, I, that That's my point, right? I, I think Grace is off on that. I think the average Israeli just wants to grow their nation and to have a, a solid... I think the Palestinians do too. My, my opinion is if you actually sat them down and had the conversation and said... How do we, how do we give you guys a continuous map? Maybe give them three or four options or draw some stuff and you go back and forth and say, once you do it, here's what we promise. And I'm not joking here. If you want America to help, here's what we promise. If you create and agree with this and you don't have the Americans do it, you have someone else do it. Maybe the Swedes, maybe the Finns, maybe the, maybe the Swiss. I don't know. Someone else does it, right? Maybe the Japanese, whoever. Someone else comes in and says, hey, we got this. Can we have a conversation? We're honest brokers. We just want to sell your Hondas. Right. We want to sell everybody Hondas. We don't care whose country is what. We just want to we, we just want to sell Hondas. And they go, all right. OK, good. How about we create X and Y? This group, that group, this group. And the Americans have agreed they're not in the room. I know you don't trust them, not in the room. But if you do this, Palestinians, they will make a beeline, make it super easy for Palestinian Americans to funnel money into your new country. Legally, they'll go out of their way to funnel money into your new country. Huh. Not bad. You want to move some people from the from occupied areas in this country? They're going to help funnel tons of cash and help it happen. Absolutely. Imagine what a difference that could make. We'd have a chance. It still might not work because of all this history, but at least maybe. Joe says force a ceasefire. Just sounds odd. Yes, but that's what happens. Yes, hundred percent. So that's actually kind of funny. Very very good quote. Very good point there. Yes. Uh, let's see if I can grab this. Uh, a couple pieces. Um, Jay says, Larry, you have a great show. I'm glad you're not taking sides, but actually talking about solutions. Can you do a video on the Kashmir conflict in India, Pakistan? I think I could. That's a tough one too. Sikhs are involved. They're also, that's, that's an, yeah, that's a big issue. That That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. So that, that, you know what? I might do that. Let me think if I can do that one too. I got to grab some of these. Okay. Yes. Um, let me, let me wrap this up, this, this video up here real fast. A little piece out here at the end to wrap it up if we could. Any other time in recent history to an actual peace deal between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Israeli Prime Minister Ehud. Oops, hey, what did I'm I do? Oh, sorry about that. And if you're a oh, coach, that's an ad. I apologize, guys. They just gave me an ad. Hold on one second.
passed. Even Yasser Arafat was surprised. Although not all the questions got addressed, you were definitely closing in on. He something. was close but to doing. Clinton was. Happen. And since then, not to criticize you, things have gotten kind of worse and worse and worse. Worst Clinton of all, that was it. your big legacy moment. Now all you've I got to give you that conflict in Northern Ireland getting. This is the thing that I got to give. Clinton had an opportunity, right? And this is why people get mad when I say some good things about Carter. Carter actually got it done. He did. He actually got it done so well that Anwar Sadat got killed because of it. I mean, Carter made terrible mistakes. But that one thing he did, Egyptian, Israel peace, well done, Carter. I mean, well done. That was a good deal. Clinton couldn't get his to work. Resolved while you were president. In short, it could have been amazing, but instead right. it was kind of meh. Kind of like your presidency, actually. At look at him hammering Clinton. Those vodka soaked hugs with Boris Yeltsin to look Don't back on. Best moving. wishes, John Green. So the Clinton talks failed. Ehud Barak's government was undermined. And then in September of 2000, Prime Minister candidate Ariel Sharon mm -hmm. led a group of 1,000 armed guards to the Temple Mount in the old city of Jerusalem. To Muslims, yes. this is known as the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And it's the... Now, this is the thing that many Israelis will do. Why will they do this? Israelis will very often use a show of force in religious areas. Why? And Muslims get mad and then they fight. Why? Because there's no agreement on the line. I keep going back to that. This, this, there should be an agreement. Where is the line? Do you own it? Do I own it? Who do we pay taxes to? Larry, it doesn't happen. It does. Where does it happen? It happens in Istanbul, in Turkey. Where is the center of the Greek Orthodox Church? In Turkey, in, in Istanbul, also known in, in Greek as Constantinople. I think that's how they pronounce it. Yeah, that's where it is. So there's a Greek Orthodox Church. The head of the Greek Orthodox Church is in Turkey. And the Turks have lines and rules on what they do and don't do. And the current, maybe you don't know this, the current leader of the Greek Orthodox Church was drafted into the Turkish army. He spent time as a Turkish soldier. Yes. Why? Because they have an agreement. He's Turkish. He is a Turkish citizen. But the Turks don't walk into, into his temple. They don't walk into his cathedral. They don't do that because that's the Greek church. The Turks leave him alone in there as long as he does what he's got to do, which is pay his tax to Turkey, which he does, and serve his time in the army, which he did. There's an agreement here. We don't have this in Israel. So the Israelis are always trying to show their force. We're in charge here. And the Muslims are like, no, you're not. And now we fight. This stuff happens all the time. Create a line that people agree with. Third holiest site in Islam, behind only the Kaaba in Mecca and the Prophet's Mosque in Medina. And it's the holiest site in mm -hmm. Judaism. So in short, it's a pretty touchy place to march to with a thousand armed guards. So the event Think about that. Why would, now you're, you know this. I know this, they all know this. And I'm gonna march through a thousand guards. I'm asking for trouble. Larry, you're victim blaming. No, I'm saying understand the consequences. Get an agreement to where we draw the line. Here is where the Israelis can go. Here is where the Arabs go. Here is where the Palestinians go. Make it clear. So don't send your soldiers across my line. Leave them on your side of the line and we're good. 
and sparked a massive protest, which eventually led yep. to the much more violent Second Intifada, in which more than 3,000 Palestinians and 1,000 Israelis were eventually killed. In 2002, the Israelis, claiming to act in defense of civilians, began construction of a wall around the West Bank. But instead of following the borders established after the 1967 war, the barrier was built to include many Israeli settlements on the Israeli side. To Israelis, of course. that was about self-defense. To Palestinians, it was an illegal land grab. Do you get that? So, of course, Israelis go, we need self-defense. And the Palestinians go, illegal land grab. Because no one agreed. Absolutely. Yes. So, let me keep going behind this real fast. Alepki says, Carter didn't get it done. Egypt and Israel worked it out with Carter's help. Yeah, but that doesn't happen without Carter. Because for the what Carter did that was good. And what people always say, Larry, why do you say nice things about Carter as the ineffective president that he was? Agreed. But Carter was a nice man. He was. He was a nice man. They believed that he was actually an honest broker. They did. Do you know why? He was actually an honest broker. That's the reason. Carter was actually an honest broker. And they believed it. You're right. Carter didn't sit down and knock it out with them. No. But he was an honest broker. Without Carter, that doesn't happen then. It might still have happened in the future, Lepke. It might have. But it doesn't happen then without him. Yes. Robert says, Hamas puts rocket lockers near schools, houses, etc. to make Israel look bad. Israel calls ahead to evacuate before bombing. This is true. Absolutely true. You're, you're right in both cases. I would ask you, though, what would you do if you, were, if you were a Palestinian? What would you do if you were Hamas? What would you do? If the world in general is looking the opposite way to Israel, as a general rule it is, um, now with, 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 with the, the, the most of the Middle East even going, whatevs, forgetting about you, you don't have a homeland, they're desperate. They're desperate. And I don't doubt if some of those orders come directly from Iran. You know, Iran is, I don't know, Robert, if you, you, you probably know this, Iran is giving them the, the rockets. They buy them from Russia and Iran gives them to it, right? There we go. So now we, they, we they get it. If Iran says, do this or you don't get the rockets, what do you do? You do what Iran says. So I'm not excusing this. goes back to my empathy versus sympathy piece. I'm not sympathetic of that. I'm just saying you would do it too. Or what do you do? Dave says, it's a requirement that had the Greek Orthodox Church in Turkish. Oh, I actually didn't know that, Dave. Interesting point. Thank you for that. Yes. Adrian says, Istanbul was Constantinople. Yes, absolutely. Correct. The, 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 the Turkey also took San Sofia to, ah, right, the, the Hag Sofia. Yes. It's true. Yes. Um, most who don't know this, but if you are of an Abrahamic religion, most who don't know this, um, any ground that a temple or a church is on is considered hollow ground. Um, it's holy ground. It doesn't matter. It is it is holy ground. So you can, under uh, Abrahamic law, whether you are a Christian, a Jew, or an, a Muslim, you can turn any temple into a mosque or any mosque into a church because the land is holy either way. In fact, the um, the current Greek Orthodox Church that we used to go to in when when uh, we used to go to one in, in Manhattan, uh, that one used to be a synagogue, and they bought the land and made it a, a church. You look at many of the, ch the churches in, uh, many of the mosques in the Muslim world, many of them used to be uh, churches or cathedrals. And they would take, a, it would scrape off the pictures of Jesus because you can't have any, any pictures in a mosque. They would put uh, uh, um, Arabic writing in it instead. It's very common, yes. So yeah. All right. Um, let's see if I can go here. Uh, Carter was too nice. Agreed. And I think that's one of the reasons why you had such trouble with Iran. Carter should have never taken the shot in. Agreed. Too nice. V valid criticism, Dave. I completely agree. Yes. 
100%. So anyway, thank you for that. Let me grab, let me wrap this up if I could. Then in 2005, Yasser Arafat died. And yep. in an election shortly thereafter, Hamas won a majority of the parliamentary of seats. Since then, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority have sort of divided how to govern Palestine. And it's also sort of been poorly governed. It has been poorly governed. It's been terribly governed. But how can it be? How can it be? It's called the Palestinian Authority. Is that a government? I don't know. I don't know. Run mostly by Hamas, which is basically a terrorist organization that does good things also for their community. Is that government? That's how they live. Of course, they're going to have problems. In the past 10 years, Hamas has frequently launched rocket attacks into Israel. Israel has responded with extended and extremely violent invasions of Palestinian territory that have seen yep. thousands of Palestinians killed, many of them militants, but also many not. Both parties claim to be responding to the provocations of the other, but much yep. of the conflict reflects a consistent failure on all sides to understand the legitimacy of the other's narrative. I cannot tell you how important that piece is. What he just said is the issue. Each side not being able to accept to understand the other side's idea of legitimacy. Where is the line? Who is in charge? Where is our nation? Who are we? That's the problem. You don't fix that. This never ends. It never ends. Palestine, the Palestinian people have been denied a state, not just since the formation of Israel, but also for decades before that. And Correct. now they live under what amounts to a military occupation. And that's all. And that's the problem right there. Either annex the land and say it is Israel. That's what it is. It's never going to be anything else. That's what it is. Accept that as true and have the world agree and they agree and say this land over here is Palestine, that's what it is, that or there's no Palestine. Good luck, guys. Both of those are harsh answers, I know, and I should not be deciding that. They should. And then we can end this occupation. It's Israel or it's not. All true. To Israel, the Jewish people clearly need a homeland which the United Nations established. And they certainly aren't the first nation state to consolidate and increase their territory via military victory. And they He's need right. to protect their nation against the many active threats made against them by their neighbors. That's also, also true. true. It's yep. important to understand the internal logic of these competing nationalist visions. For both Zionist yep. and Palestinian national visions to eventually work, it's necessary to understand the right of each to exist and the legitimacy of each's historical narrative but and neither of them do neither of them have agreed that the other has a right to exist neither of them have agreed that both of them need to have some form of land neither of them have agreed to any of that stuff that's why it doesn't work they have to go yeah you know what israel should exist and then israel go you know what palestine needs to exist they have to do that they don't so how could they possibly make this work? It is impossible. It just doesn't work. They don't understand the historical narrative. They don't get any legitimacy. These they problems aren't thousands of years old and they aren't intractable. They emerged in the British mandatory period. Bingo. So let's hope that by understanding that this isn't an endless religious war, Correct that we also. might be closer to seeing its end. That is what I hope. I hope he's right. That's why I went through this. And sadly, most kids in America don't get this. Most people don't even know this. In fact, most kids in America don't even know this is happening. My daughter, who's 17, learned this on Twitter. And then came to me. I found this video. So we could walk, it, walk through it. My youngest daughter said, what's that? 
that's where we are, guys. I hope this was interesting. The Columbus piece, the Israeli piece, the historical piece behind it. This is interesting stuff. But the number one thing for America is walk away and let people decide for themselves on how they fix their own problems. What we should be doing as Americans is going back to what we did 100 years ago, which is be honest brokers. Just be honest brokers, and they will find a way to solve their own problems. That's the issue. I I would hope in my perfect world they could find a two-state solution. I would love that. I hope that's realistic. I don't know if it is. Being forward, I don't know if it is. But whatever it is, I hope they find a solution soon because whatever solution they find, here's what I promise you, there still will be some violence. That's going to happen. There still will be some violence because people will have to move. The goal I hope will be we we limit the violence to the best of our ability, whether it's a one or two state solution, we limit it so that less people die. That's my hope. Guys, I do want to say one thing that's important. If you like it, some of you are liking it, then do me a favor, support the show. Head over to patreon.com slash sharpway. Throw me 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you can do. Please do that so I can keep doing these shows to the best of my ability, trying to give you as much stuff that makes sense for you. And, and hopefully you can share with others because I want you as always to like and comment and share. It does matter. I can't tell you how much it does. Clicking that button does matter. Subscribing does matter. If you can subscribe to my Sharp Way YouTube page, I could use some more subscribers. Subscribe to that page. It'd be great. And of course, if you can go to that protest and civil disobedience survey, which the click, the link is right there in the description. Take that survey. Take four or five minutes, finish the survey, and then share it. It does matter. They're my sponsors. They love it. They want you to do that. Please do it and share it. Larry, I can't do that. I don't have time. Okay, like, comment, and share. Larry, I want to give you money. Great, Patreon. Larry, I don't do any of that stuff. Wonderful. Go to my YouTube page. Subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already, go to my Twitter like that, and it's Sharpway. Not Larry Sharp, because Larry Sharp is going to get canceled one of these days. So I got to make sure that Sharpway is up and running. Do the Larry Sharp thing, uh, the Sharpway thing. It does matter. Very important. Matt says, off topic, but are you going to be on the Cajun Libertarian tonight? I am, which is what I'm about to get off right now, because I'm going to be on his, I'm going to be on occasions uh show in about 45 minutes, 9:30 Eastern. I'll be back live on a Cajun Libertarian show. So please check that out. Uh head over to his um Head over to his uh, uh, Facebook page or YouTube page. I'll be live there. Absolutely, I will. Adrian says, uh, hold on. Uh, I do the survey, T-shirt, and Patreon. Adrian, you are the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, for some of you, I'll see you in about 45 minutes. For the rest, I will see you all tomorrow.